Good morning again. Did everybody that was meant to receive some chocolate get, get a chocolate bar? Good, good. Feel free. I don't know how this works in COVID. If you've got one that you don't like and someone got the other one to swap. I don't know if that means you need to spray it and sanitize it first. I don't know what that would do to the taste. Or just, again, pass it to somebody else. Anyway, it's good to be here. It's good to be together. Over the last few months, we've been looking at this series called Jesus Is. And each week, we've been unpacking a different element of who Jesus is and what that means to us. Last week was the last week. But I do want to make the comment, we aren't done with Jesus. We're not finished, and now we're going to do something else. Jesus is, as I said last week, the main thing, not a side dish. But we're going to look at different aspects of Scripture that ultimately all point to Jesus in different ways. So this week, I'm going to begin something we're going to be looking at over the next four weeks. And it's, in some ways, it's a response to what we have heard. And I'm calling this, what must we do? What do we have to do? We've heard, we've listened, we've learned, we've been challenged, hopefully we've been stirred. What do we need to do? What is our response? I believe it's appropriate that there's a response. We don't just observe and listen, but the story of following Jesus is about participating, not just observing and being a spectator. Now, as I introduce the idea of what must we do, I want to make the statement, Jesus has actually done it all already. There isn't anything that Jesus hasn't achieved or accomplished or isn't finished. The cross has said it all. And there isn't this continuous battle between good and evil and Jesus is struggling, but hopefully he'll come good at the end. He's won. It's done. But we have an opportunity to respond. We have an invitation to respond. And that's what we're going to be unpacking over the next few weeks. Uh, This week, I received an email that said, get ready for summer, look great in your swimming suit, 30-day diet. And on the envelope, it said, this is for you. And I'm reading the envelope, and I'm looking down thinking, okay, apparently. Um, Then I saw something else. It was an email, and it was this kind of protein shake and exercise routine, how to get big and look good in 40 days or something like that. And then I was at this church gathering and someone talked about this course that many of us would be familiar with about 20 years ago when we read this book that had a 40-day course that would give you a sense of purpose and knowing. And some of us are nodding. It was good. We did that. All of these things have this suggestion that if you eat this or if you exercise like this or if you read this, then this will happen. And I want to be really clear in saying, Jesus has finished, achieved, won, completed it all. So it's not like he needs our help. If we take a few more steps, if we do this, then it will happen. Jesus has completed it all. But we are invited to participate and to interact. When Jesus taught people, there was always an invitation This invitation basically talks of, I want you to move from where you are to where you could be. And it may be about what you're believing or the way you're living or the way you're operating. Or it may be that you're following the wrong path and come and follow Jesus on the right path. There was always an invitation to move. So I want to be looking at this in terms of what must we do 
aware that ultimately Jesus has already done it. But we have an opportunity to step into the story that he's already completed. So this morning, I want to talk about the first answer to this question, what must we do? And it's believe. We, we must believe. Now, I wrote this down, and I thought, oh, well, that's obvious. We've done that. We've heard this. We've learned this. And I felt God challenged me. This isn't so much that we need to believe because we don't believe. But for many of us, we need to believe again. Because life's changed and things have happened and some things didn't go to plan. And I feel that in this moment, in this moment in time, and it's a really unique moment in time when we are living through a probably once in a century pandemic and we're coming to the other side. I believe that the request is we need to believe again. We need to believe afresh. We need to believe in God. We need to believe in ourselves. And we need to believe in his church. And we need to believe again. And that's what I want to look at this morning. That's what I want to unpack. And I'm going to begin with an illustration. So these chairs represent different people. We'll call this person A, person B, and person C. And we're going to talk about these chairs and these people. And some of you will connect and go, oh, I know that person. Some of you may go, that I am that person. Or I used to be that person. And I want to unpack this in terms of what does it look like to believe. So let's start with person A. This person doesn't believe. He doesn't believe in God because he doesn't believe that he needs to. He, to use a phrase that many of you know, he would tell you that he is all set. He has a nice house and cars and retirement fund and educations in order. And he doesn't believe that he needs God. And because he doesn't have any needs, he believes that he is the leader, the God of his own life, his own situation, his own circumstance. When he hears of people that talk about God in a way that that, that they believe that God does exist, he assumes that they're kind of needy or feeble. And that's why they've created this idea of God. And he doesn't need that. He is his own person. He's generous by choice. He doesn't need a religion to tell him to do those things. He, he lives comfortably for himself and dismisses the idea that there could be a God. Because of the posture that he assumes in the way he lives his life, person A doesn't ever experience God, doesn't feel God's presence, and therefore continues to believe that God isn't real. I believe that God is found by those who look for him. And in the case of the person that sits in this chair, because he doesn't look, he hasn't found. That's person A. This person B. This person believes, but life hasn't gone to plan. 
He's got some struggles and some disappointments. He had this belief, and then this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened. And he's still there. He still believes. He wouldn't deny that. But he's not entirely convinced or sure as he perhaps was at the beginning. He doesn't doubt that God is there, but he doesn't experience that often. For him, that's something that other people talk of, and he hasn't always had that moment for himself. He doesn't believe in himself. He's got fairly low level of confidence, and he looks at his situation, his circumstance, even his family, and he'll use sentences like, my clan is weak, my family is weak. We've never achieved anything. He's not given up on the idea of God, but life has shaped a belief that is fairly low. This is person B. And then person C. And I'm going to try not to fall off the edge. This person has 100% faith, belief in God, in Jesus. This person is there. This person almost has this military-like understanding that it's been said, which means it's been done. He doesn't doubt anything. The power of the word, so Jesus said this and it was. He looks at Genesis and God said, let there be light and there was. And for him, he lives in that world, that's entirely where he is, 100%. Doesn't doubt anything. It's said, it's done. This is person C. I wonder where you would identify yourself, the person who sits in this chair, A, B, or C. I'm guessing from those that I know, there aren't many of us that are here, but we may be, and we may know people who operate as their own God, their own existence, because they're all good, they're all set. For those of us that I know that are familiar that would say, hey, I'm, I'm a Christian, I believe in Jesus, you're probably thinking, I would like to say I'm here in chair C because that probably feels like the right answer. But if you were answering this question privately, you may not sit here. You may find yourself sitting here. That's okay. Most people aren't here. And some people would tell you they are or present like they are, but actually most of us sit here. And you read the Bible and you find the people that God used or uses and it's really quite surprising. I've often recognized that if there was an interview for the position that this person fulfilled in Scripture, they probably wouldn't have passed the interview. In the Old Testament, the most significant leader, Moses, begins as someone who's not convinced that he entirely believes in God, but is not convinced that he can do what God's asking him to do, and he doesn't believe in himself. You see that in David, and you see that in Joshua. You then get to the New Testament, and you read the disciples they're here. They're asking questions, tripping over themselves all the way through the Gospels. And when they write with certainty, we have to remember they're writing after the event, looking back and going, now I see and understand. 
But at the time, to quote John 20, they saw but still did not fully understand. They're here. If you are here, you are in good company. And that's why I want to look at the subject of to believe again, to believe afresh, to come before God and say, I believe, but at times help me overcome my unbelief. That sentence, I'm quoting scripture, where somebody said those very words to Jesus. Jesus' response was not one of annoyance because why aren't you sitting in this chair? He was really pleased that that person with those questions and storms and situations that have knocked them at times was in that place at that time. Jesus was not annoyed that they weren't here. So if you're sitting here, you're in good company. These chairs represent people we know. They also represent people from Scripture. And I want to talk about someone who's in that chair. And it's somebody called Gideon. So we're turning in the Old Testament to the book of Judges. And I'm going to read this story. And hopefully you'll see how it fits both from an interesting story of history that speaks to the present. And hopefully you're finding yourself somewhere in one of these chairs. And like I say, my hunch is a lot of us are sat in the middle. So Judges 6, introducing Gideon. Judges 6, and we're going to read from verse 1 to 16a. I'm going to pause a couple of times through it just to explain and expand the story. Just to give you some context, this is about 1,100 years before Jesus. The world was very different then. But what we find with these ancient scriptures is they're interesting in their historical context, but yet there's this profound ability where God speaks through the scripture to us today. So we read it with both of those lenses in mind. It begins like this. The Israelites, who were the people of God, the people who said they were following God, and sometimes they were and sometimes they weren't, which is us. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years, he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of the Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and other eastern peoples invaded their country. They camped on the land, ruined the crops all the way to Gaza, did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. A quick explanation. The people that were the people of God that were walking close with God moved away from walking close with God and decided that they could almost be their own God and sit in this chair, live for themselves, make their own decisions, which works when things work. But if you've ever tried to live for yourself and sit entirely in this chair, at times things don't work and the world starts to fall off. And that was the story of the first six passages, six passages. Verse 7, when the Israelites cried out to the Lord, because there comes a point where in our struggle and in our storms and in our challenges, the right response is to cry out to the Lord. 
He, as in God, sent a prophet. A prophet is someone who hears from God and then speaks and conveys the voice of God. He sent a prophet who said this. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians, and I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you, gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the God of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you've not listened to me. God is saying, we used to be close. You used to believe. We had this moment. You were oppressed before, and I redeemed you, but you moved away and went back to sit in that chair where you just do it your own way. You have not listened to me. That's quite powerful. This is a sermon. You not remember, may not remember much of what is said or sung today. But I want you to remember this line where God, you hear something of the heart of God. And I don't hear this as a God that's shouting or angry, but a God who's speaking clearly. And he says this, you haven't listened to me. The angel of the Lord came and sat down in the oak, under an oak in Ophrah, that belonged to Joash the Abzurite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. So he's hiding. He's doing something normal, but he's hiding for fear of being attacked. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us, given us into the hand of the Midian. Everything's going wrong. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel. Save the people of God out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord. Gideon replied, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you. So Gideon is firmly in this chair. And there's this incredible encounter where God appears to him, and he's not expecting it. As we read from the text, the context, he's hiding. He's nowhere near a place of confidence. He's fearful and he's hiding. Look at this. The angel of the Lord appears to him. The voice of God speaks to him. And he says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Isn't that strange that when you see someone hiding away who's fearful, the opening address is to call that person mighty warrior? This is so unusual compared to the modern world that we live in. We tend to celebrate someone's performance first and then honor them as a person second, usually based on the strength of their performance. Somebody returns from battle and they've succeeded. We may call them a mighty warrior. But God affirms us for who we are first and takes very little in our interest in our performance. 
This is consistent with all the Scripture. If you read on into the New Testament, you'll read of the baptism of Jesus. This is before Jesus has healed the sick, raised the dead, and given profound teaching that continues to speak to us today. Before any of this has happened, there's a moment where Jesus is baptized. And as he comes out of the water, God says, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. God the Father is well pleased in his Son, and then in turn in his sons and daughters, before they achieve or do anything. This is the opposite to the way we are wired, the way we celebrate success. We love performance. God loves people. So Gideon, who's fearful, who's scared, is addressed The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. If you find yourself fearful, firmly in the chair of some belief but some doubt, may you hear the address of God who doesn't see you because of your circumstances, doesn't grade you based on your performance, but says, hey, I'm with you, mighty warrior. The story goes on. His response, which is very firmly from someone saying, in this chair, says, if the Lord is with us, why has all this stuff happened? That's a fair question. If you've got questions, if you want to say, God, if you're good, why did this happen to me? God is not offended by that question. Gideon is not rebuked for that question. He's not shunned, he's not embarrassed, and he's not shamed that Gideon comes with questions. So if you have questions, you are welcome. Moving on, verse 14. The Lord turned and said to him, Go in the strength that you have. He doesn't say wait, or I'll do this, or if you could just learn this, if you could get better at this, 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 this. He says, look, just go with what you've got, because what you've got I can work with. I love that. I love that God doesn't wait for us to be a better version of ourselves. If you could just look a little bit more like the person that sits here, then I can use you. He says, no, no, no. It's okay that you're sat here. Go with the strength that you have. I can work with that. And then Gideon, who like us, who's still got questions, says, I don't know. My family's never achieved anything. My clan is the weakest. It's never worked before. And there's this beautiful end. I will be. I will be with you. I will be with you. For Gideon, who believed, the invitation is to believe again. And it isn't based on where he's sitting between the chairs. It isn't based on his current posture, which is fearful. It isn't based in himself. There is this, go with what you've got. Go in the strength that you have now. You don't need to wait to look more like this person, who's really rare, really rare. I said that they're biblical characters. This person is Pharaoh, In Egypt, who believes in himself, and when Moses says, I believe in God, he's like, I don't, I believe in myself. This person 
is a Roman centurion that we meet very briefly in the New Testament where his son is sick and he says, Jesus, can you heal my son? And Jesus says, I can. And he says, well, you don't need to come in my house. Just give the word and it will be done. Jesus' response to this person who sits in this chair is, wow, that kind of faith is super rare. I haven't seen it anywhere else. So if you're feeling bad that you aren't this person, Jesus said himself, it's really rare to find this person in this chair. Most of you are probably here, and that's okay. So where I'm going with this is we need to believe again. Many of us have believed, but how has this happened? And this went wrong, and God, why didn't this go better? We need to believe again. We need to believe in God. We need to believe in Jesus. We need to believe in the Holy Spirit who is with us. For those who have accepted Jesus, the Holy Spirit is with us, points ourselves to Jesus and points others to Jesus and fills us with the fuel that we need because life is hard. And every time we try and just do it our own way, it just doesn't work. We need to believe again. I believe in this moment. I believe in We need to learn to believe in ourselves. And we've all got a different level of strength. But there's a God who tells us to go with the strength that we have. And we need to believe in church again. At a time when church has become optional. And for some, we may not see them again. There's been a shake-up. There's been a change. I want to encourage you to believe in church again, not because of the organization, but because the church is the people of God, and it's meant to be the biggest movement on the planet, not in ourselves, but as a church that hosts the presence of God, that shares that with the world around us. This is the only idea that God has going forward, that he would dwell with his people, and others will hear that story and receive that invitation. That is the plan. I believe in that plan. I want to encourage you to believe in God, believe in yourself, and believe in the church. And for many of us, it's believe again. Believe afresh for today and for tomorrow. I'm increasingly not believing in some of the religious institutions that men in roles like mine have invented over the last hundred years. As we've studied the scriptures and reconsidered the person of Jesus, I used the sentence at the beginning of the year, and I've used it a few times, we need a Jesus revolution. And what I mean by that is a revolution turns everything upside down, and I'm not talking politics, and I'm not talking systems, or even church structures and organization. I'm saying we need to refine what it looks like to know Jesus, love Jesus, follow Jesus, and live like Jesus. That's what the world needs. And for some of us, we need to step in afresh and believe again in the strength that we have with a God that affirms us regardless of our current posture and situation. May we believe again. Why don't we stand? I want to pray. Father, we come before you as we are 
And thank you that you don't leave us there. Lord, at times we come before you quite weak, quite fearful. We believe, but things have gone wrong. We look at ourselves, and we don't believe in ourselves, and we look at our family, to quote Gideon, our clan, and we go, I don't know. We've never achieved anything. We like the idea of a move of God and a life to the full, but that's not been the path we've walked for some time. Lord, for everyone here in this room and online, I invite you in to our current life circumstance and say, breathe your Holy Spirit afresh. Breathe your Holy Spirit afresh in a way that changes us. Lord, may we believe again in you. May we believe again in ourselves. And may we believe again in your church. And just as I'm praying, if there's anyone who isn't sure if they've ever believed at all, I want you simply to say, Jesus, I've missed the mark. I've messed up. And we all know that. We don't need to dig deep for long to find that. Jesus, I invite you in. I ask that you forgive me. And I ask that you cleanse me. And that you help me to know you and to follow you. If that prayer is new for you, uh, tell the person that you came with that you prayed that. But for many of us, I guess, we're here in this chair. Lord, help us to believe again in this moment in your church. Lord, come and move in a fresh way in our lives and in the life of this church.